Johnny Cage, Kenobu, Kang, Raiden, Scorpion, Sonya, Blade, Sub-Zero, Goro, Shang, Zora, Tabaraka, J-Jack, Kintaro, Kitana, Kung Lao, Merlini, Nanook, Seba, Stout, Shao Kahn, Fung, Chameleon, Cyrax, Earth, Makabo, Motaro, Nightwolf, Insector, Sheep, The Sindel, Striker, Fu, Jin, Quanshi, Shinnok, Sabrina, Jerick, Kaimi, Reiko, Tanya, Tremor, Blade, Goracho, Dramin, Fosu's now, Tan, Kenshi, Mavado, Mocap, Moloch, Katara, Ashra, Dairo, Darius, Havoc, Hotaru, Kira, Cobra, Onaga, Shijinko, Gigante, Vandavora, Cassie, Cage, Aaron, Black, Ferrator, Jackie, Briggs, Kotokan, Kongjin, Takeda, Tribe, Setrion, Scarlet, Gareth, Collector, Chronica, Welcome to Mortal Podcast. I am your host, Ben Meckler, and this is the show where I walk my friends through the entirety of Mortal Kombat lore from the perspective of a single character. But not today. Today, uh, I'm, I'm going to get schooled because my special guest is uh, Mortal Kombat co-creator John Tobias. Hi. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm a fan of the show. I've listened to quite a number of them, and uh, I find them very entertaining. Uh, that's wild, and I love to hear it. Yeah. And I'm flattered <laughs> that someone thinks that uh, that the the lore and the history of of MK is something worthy of a podcast. <laughs> so oh, that's pretty, it it definitely cool. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I uh, it's funny because this is something that I definitely walking friends through the story of this game. I mean, obviously, yeah. I had my friends I grew up with that were like huge Mortal Kombat heads. Right. Um, but I've had so many friends since then, like as I've become an adult who just don't know Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. at all. It was almost my party trick right. to just start uh, talking for a very long time okay. <laughs> right. Bore them. about these subjects. <laughs> uh, no, I think people found it exciting. I mean, you know, you yeah. got monsters, you got you got there's a lot of yeah. There's yeah. a lot of drama there. There is. There's yeah. a lot going on. Yeah. It's always I've always described, you know, even back then, you know, way back when, uh, what we were doing as a big soap opera. It was always a kind of a big soap opera. Yeah. So. I think that's I think that's an appropriate way mm-hmm. uh, to describe it. Um, that's certainly how I consumed it as a kid, and even now, like obsessively waiting for the next chapter to see uh, where the drama went. Next. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, um, uh, you know, we talked a little bit before we started here, but um, you know, one thing I think about those, uh, you know, the early games is yeah. um, is that uh, you know certainly in hindsight when I look at some of the choices that we made. Um, I think that uh, you know a lot of what we did was was sort of like tell story in white spaces, you know. So um, we told just enough story um, to give the players enough information for them to formulate, you know, the structure of what we were trying to convey, you know, kind of in their heads. And um, and we were, um, you know, I remember that we were very um, um, particular about the, you know the choices we made. So it wasn't random and it wasn't. Um, you know, um, uh, as, as goofy as some of the stuff may seem, you know, in hindsight, I think that w- there was a lot of thought putting into the character archetypes that we picked. Um, and and I remember thinking that, um, you know, that if we make, you know, real strategic choices, the characters will, or sorry, the players, which some are characters, but uh, the <laughs> players will be able to kind of, you know, um, consume the story in a way, you know, that, that helped make it you know, feel at least coherent or as coherent of, uh, you know, as a story that you could tell in an arcade game. Right. Um, and, um, 
And so who knew, you know, we didn't know whether it would take or not. And, um, but certainly, you know, the game became popular and players, you know, became enamored with particular characters. You know, a lot of those reasons were because they liked playing as them. But there was always these few um, sentences that we, you know, placed in the attract mode of the game that really resonated, you know, ended up resonating really well. And, and, and that actually worked out much better than we had anticipated. Yeah, you put like exactly enough information in there uh, for, at least for me as a kid, my imagination right. just run wild and like yeah. fill in those blanks. Um, I think like, for me, I, I've told this story many times on the podcast, but the way that I got into Mortal Kombat was that I would just stand there and stare at the attract mode because I'd be out of quarters within mm. like 10 minutes of getting the arcade. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would just like wait for the character profiles to come by and like try to read all of them and like That's understand funny. the story. And I think that... Uh, that's definitely how I fell in love with Mortal Kombat's story. It's also, I think, a big part of how I wound up becoming a writer because I was probably four or five years old at like Bigfoot's Arcade in Margate, Florida, <laughs> and uh, just kind of obsessively like putting the pieces together of the story and then going to the playground and like retelling it to my friends and like oh, yeah. explaining stuff then, uh -huh. even when I was like five years old, just being like, yeah, no, 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 you see Sub-Zero, he's, he's from a rival gang of Scorpions, but like... He might have killed Scorpion's family, but like maybe he didn't. I don't know. Right. You know, it's funny <laughs> yeah. because that level of story that we were able to tell, and the you know sort of the um, you know the uh, um, the fact that there were things kind of hidden in the game, I think helped build this mystique around it. Yeah. You know, so um, you know only players who who actually cared to stand around and read the attract mode, um, you know, were really you know conscious of the story that kind of was there. Um, and then not everyone got to see the fatalities, at least not at first, you know. And so you would hear, you know, the way I remember players, you know, describing their experience to me was, you know, that they would hear things from other players and, and not believe it. And then there were lots of, you know, um, there were lots of lies being told between players, like stuff <laughs> that just was not in the game that they would sort of spread. Yeah, there you know, were the, so many rumors. rumors. Yeah. Both about like story things, but also about like gruesome shit that happened That's right. in fatalities. Yeah. That yeah. Didn't... And and so we really, um, you know, Mortal Kombat was born with that, you know, with that in mind. And and you know, a lot of that was I remember Ed loved to bury stuff in the game, you know, and and a lot of that came from you know that was that was birthed out of out of sort of his ideas. Um, and you know, the character Reptile was, you know, Ed that was actually Ed's creation. So <laughs> I um I remember, you know, I gave Ed a bunch of. Uh, different color options, you know, of, of the ninjas because we had, you know, the, the palette swap going on. And um, so he picked green, called him reptile. And I didn't actually formulate his story until later. Huh. Um, so it was more just, you know, Ed snuck him in. We called him reptile. And he didn't even have any sort of a story or anything, you know, in the first game. We didn't really do that until the, the later products. That's, uh, that's awesome. Well, I, I would like to talk a little bit about, like, kind of how things started. How old were you when... You were working on the first Mortal Kombat game. Uh, yeah, I was. Um, I was pretty young. I was. Uh, I'm trying to think. I started at Midway when I was 19, so I was maybe 21, 22. That's insane. Okay, yeah. so you're you're 21 years old, and uh, you're trying to come up with characters for this game. What like movies were you watching? What what were I mean? You've spoken yeah. before about influences being like mm -hmm. martial arts films at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what specifically can you remember like going to see and like thinking about when you're coming up with these characters in the story? Well, you know, the, the one thing I remember thinking about with Mortal Kombat specifically was um, we were sort of cut loose. You know, there was very little direction coming from anybody, you know, at Midway at the time. It was kind of just, uh, yeah, fighting games is a good idea. You know, 
have at it. <laughs> uh, and so Ed and I were kind of left to our own devices there. And I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, I loved martial arts films growing up. And I was, uh, you know, I watched old kung fu films on television. Um, there were these rundown movie houses in downtown Chicago that used to play triple feature you know, kung fu films, and I would go there and, and watch them. And, and um, most of that stuff was Shaw Brothers films. But um, yeah. I remember um, I saw Enter the Dragon, I think, at that time. Mm-hmm. It was my first sort of, um, that was my first introduction to Bruce Lee. So I was aware of him, you know, um, uh, but hadn't really seen many of his films. And I think the first time I saw Enter the Dragon, I was 14 or 15, maybe. And that having a big effect on me. Um, and all the Shaw Brothers stuff, you know, yeah. was was huge for me. Um, and so when it came time to do Mortal Kombat, I remember thinking, you know, uh, I'm going to take all that stuff and mm-hmm. and throw it all at you know Mortal Kombat. And it wasn't just limited to the kung fu films. It really was, um, you know, I took bits and pieces of Star Wars. I had just um, read um, uh, it was a Joseph Campbell thing, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, was it? Is it Hero of a Thousand Faces? Yeah. It wasn't that. It was. It was the Bill Moyers interview that was done with Joseph Campbell back oh, then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I had read that, and I was aware of the you know the hero's journey and all that kind of stuff. And um, and so um, when we started kind of formulating the story, that was the path that Luke Kang was kind of given. And so we thought, okay, he's going to be our hero archetype, and we'll kind of build, you know, things around him. But so you know it was kind of a lot of different things and it, and and you, i mean you see it in mortal kombat that you know the homage that we pay to you know whether it's big trouble in little china mm-hmm. star wars end of the dragon you know bits and pieces of of things you know um uh, from here from here and there that influenced myself you know ed as well um and uh, you know i like to say that i think you know mortal kombat could only have happened with ed and i coming together at that place in time, given that opportunity. Like there's no other way that that would have kind of come together. And so in a lot of ways, Mortal Kombat is kind of, it's not original in and of itself. It more is like a, um, what makes it original is that it's a bunch of different ideas that have never been bundled together, bundled together. I think that's you know, a in, lot of in, in, <laughs> the most popular stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so that, you know, so um, there were lots of different things that, you know, that, 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 you know, played an influence, but certainly that, you know, obviously the, the Kung Fu films and, um, there, there are a lot of direct influences. It's funny because I I had done, uh, another, maybe a year or so ago, I had done another interview and I had started looking up old Shaw Brothers films because I couldn't remember the names of some of them and and the names have changed. Like when I think the, the stuff I saw in the theater was named differently than it was named you know, um, in Hong Kong. There are still a lot where if I, if I try to find a certain movie, I have to search like one of two different names on right. iTunes. Or yeah. I think, uh, eight, eight pole diagram or eight diagram pole fighter. Eight pole diagram fighter. <laughs> one of those has two different names. Right. Come drink with me has like two different names. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, um, I think Amazon prime, they, they did a few months ago, but they have like a ton of Shaw brothers films Yeah. that, and a lot of those I saw when I was a kid and those were, I remember, um, you know, I, I've talked before about 36 Chambers specifically, but I had forgotten that, you know, that Gordon Liu, who played the, the, the main character in 36 Chambers, was mm-hmm. the, he was the guy kind of training to become a Shaolin monk because he wanted to go and get revenge on somebody who had, you know, done him wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, he, um, uh, Luke Hang actually started as, you know, influenced by Gordon Liu. So I took the Liu from Gordon Liu and used that as part of Liu Kang. And he oh. was originally going to be a more traditional Shaolin monk before we had changed him to be more of the, 
sort of the Bruce Lee um, um, archetype. Yeah, wasn't um, he originally going to be like bald and, and yeah, wear a robe? Right, and, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think the first sketch I did with him was as a traditional, and it was just like a crude little pencil sketch, but it was the idea was that he was going to be a traditional Shaolin monk. Yeah, that um, would have been cool for... Uh, yeah, that might, yeah. Have been a, that might have been a good way to go. There were a couple of reasons why we had changed him. One was... Um, you know, there was there was a quality to the, the the imagery of Bruce Lee that I thought that we could take advantage of. And mm -hmm. so, you know, because our opportunity to tell story in our game is was so few, you know, there were so few places to do it. Um, you know, I always thought that you take advantage of everything that you can. And if somebody saw a character that resembled Bruce Lee, they would, you know, subconsciously, you know, attribute the qualities of Bruce Lee to that character. And so that's that's one of the reasons why we made that choice. Um, the other reason was um, because um, there were some friends of mine who were going to work with us, mm -hmm. you know, as actors in the game. And uh, Ho Sung Pak, who p ended up playing Liu Kang, um, we were thinking that he would play the traditional monk. But I was really concerned about getting a bald cap on him and making that work. I mean, everything we did back then was so crude. Right. Um, and um, so that just kind of lent itself to, oh, let's just let's stick with the, you know, the Bruce Lee vibe. Um, and so we ended up heading that direction with him. Man, that's crazy. I just I cannot imagine being that young and having uh, a story that I create blow up like that. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 No, that was that was incredible. I mean, no one when we were working on the game, no one thought that it would blow up the way that it did. We just, sure. you know, um, uh, you know, Ed and, and 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 Dan Ford and John Vogel. It was it was kind of just the four of us, and um, you know, really just kind of worked by your instincts back then. There was no, you know, game design back then wasn't as well developed as it is today. Mm -hmm. And so really a lot of what we're doing is just by instinct, you know. Right. And, and uh, I think fortunately for us, we were sort of so close to the demographic of the players who were playing our game that we were probably in a, in a good place to make the right choices. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, I think that was a benefit to us as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you were when you were conceiving of the characters in the game, uh, in the first game, were you thinking already about like where their story might go if you got to do more? Were you thinking at all about, I mean, you, you said already that you were kind of keeping things vague on purpose mm -hmm. and hoping that the audience for the game would kind of fill in the blanks because you didn't really have the capability to do much storytelling. Right. But did you kind of have in mind, obviously you were setting up the idea of this tournament, these other dimensions, mm -hmm. And you kind of have the end. The endings are in the first game, right? Kind of saying what would happen if each of those characters. Yeah, the, the endings in the first game were kind of whacked out. Like I think that <laughs> the idea was these are these are outrageous what if scenarios. You know, it wasn't we didn't really take it all that seriously. You know what we had done with the endings, and they certainly weren't meant to necessarily you know be thought of as canon. Right. Um, you know, I remember having a, a, a loose idea on where you know, I thought the story was going to go if there were a sequel, you know, because certainly when we were formulating the story, we didn't, we didn't, you know, mm -hmm. um, didn't think that there would be a sequel that, you know, we, we, um, and, you know, in fact, when we finished the first game, Ed and I thought, oh, what do we want to do next? And we really wanted to do a Star Wars game. We were pushing our management oh, to, to kind of, yeah, to just reach out, and let us do a Star Wars product. Yeah. And, um, but of course, you know, the game, you know, hit big and, and they ended up uh, wanting us to do a sequel. And so then that, you know, um, you know, once sort of they asked for that, um, mm -hmm. I remember thinking, this is awesome. We get to expand on this, you know, this, um, this story that we had kind of, you know, uh, started. And, um, you know, like I said, we, we had a loose idea on kind of where it was going to go. And what I was, you know, one thing that I thought of, you know, specifically with Mortal Kombat was um, 
we spoke about um, Shang Tsung having an emperor, I believe, in that first game. We, we mentioned these things without really getting into any details. And the strength of doing that is that we insinuate, you know, um, plots and players read that stuff. And then I think they, in their, you know, again, in their mind, they start to formulate, wow, where there's this other thing here that exists that we don't know anything about. And, you know, I, I, I compared a little bit to, um, and I remember being conscious of this, you know, on the, on the first and the second game, um, was when I saw Star Wars and I was a kid, um, they alluded to an emperor, an empire, you know, all this stuff that you really, in the first film, they didn't really, you know, get into the weeds with. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, Empire Strikes Back that you really learned, oh, there is an emperor. Oh, this is he's a creepy looking dude. And you start to get into the, you know, the intricacies of really what that universe was. Um, and and as that stuff was revealed to me as a kid, it was mind-blowing, you know. Yeah. And so I remember being conscious between the first and the second Mortal Kombat of wanting the players to have that sense, you know, that, oh, there's this bigger world, you know, that has only been alluded to and um, and just give the players a sense that this is much larger than than any of us thought, you know. And, um, and I think each subsequent sequel, the first, the second, and the third game kind of, you know, built on that, you know, kind of got bigger and bigger. And I think that if there's a downside to that, I think that it's that, um, you know, at some point um, you kind of need to walk yourself back a little bit because you can start to get into the weeds about this crazy, you know, with crazy backstory that really doesn't, you know, um, uh, sort of help build on the on the actual characters that are present, you know. Right. And so people kind of can get lost with, you know, the stuff that happened, you know, as, as backstory. And really what's important is what's happening now. Um, and so the backstory is more like for me, it was if there were details about, you know, the, the origins of why all this stuff exists, um, I I never thought you know, to really share all that detail with the player. Like I thought that that's more for us, at, you know, to use as a framework for the stories that we, you know, right. that we come so up with. So that everything kind of connects and exactly right. makes and, sense. Yeah, yeah. And just give the players what they need, you know, um, just enough. Um, and um, I think MK3 though, I think our attract mode story was, was I think it's a few pages <laughs> of text. <laughs> we probably got a little bit out of control. It, but it was definitely at least three. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't big on, yeah, I wasn't big on, you know, again, because we couldn't really do story exposition, you know, so it was important just to, just to have a, you know, a, just a, a, a framework, just enough, again, you know, to, to give the player, you know, um, you know, enough information to, to kind of take it and run with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did, at the very beginning, I guess, like, you said that you were just kind of putting these hints out, but did you already have an idea? I, first off, I'm really curious where the idea of multiple dimensions came from. Was that just oh. kind of your way of getting at being able to do alternate planets, but not having it be too close to something that came before? I just think, like, there's so few... Now there are maybe more, but there yeah. are so few fantasy stories that are about, like, such a specific multiple dimension You know what's... You know, I, I think I may, I may have said this before, but... <laughs> Um, there was, I was somewhat familiar with HP Lovecraft's Cthulhu stuff. Oh, and okay. I remember, th- I r- love the idea of these monsters from these other realms, you know, and, and I remember being, thinking of that a little bit when I started to think of who, who are these gods that Shang Tsung worships? What, you know, what's their, what's their deal? And the idea of elder gods really didn't happen, I think until maybe MK3. I don't know that, that, um, or maybe it was MK2, but I think it was more MK3. It was, when, okay. you know, as the story started to expand, we started to have to explain more and more. Yeah. Um, and, um, but I think that's kind of how it started. And, and I love the idea that there were sort of these parallel dimensions and there's this 
bad guy who wants to take ours, um, you know, and, uh, um, uh, but, you know, and then the idea of Shang Tsung, um, you know, the island that he had occupied was sort of this island gateway to this other place. Right. Um, you know, I, I loved, you know, just kind of that that construct of, you know, that, hey, there's other places. There can be many other places. We don't know how many other places there are. Right. Was the idea that Shang Tsung's island is kind of in between the realms? It's like um, a... a little bit. Yeah. yeah. The idea was that that was the only way to get from Earth to Outworld. Um, and so I don't know what magics he used to kind of create that place. You know, we, we were sort of vague on the details yeah. behind that stuff. But, um, but yeah, you know, the idea was that it was sort of this, this, this go-between. It's like you go there, and then that's how you cross over to the, you know, to the other place. And that only certain people could do it. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, it's funny thinking back on, on all the details and how with each game, we had to explain more. Now you right. can explain more, you know, and, and, and as you keep going, you know, I look at the games today and there's so much exposition, you know, and so <laughs> they're explaining so much that sometimes I think that, um, you know, if you take a step back, you know, you probably, I think just as writers, you want to, you want to say a whole bunch of stuff, you know, yeah, and, of course. and it's tough to, um, you know, it's tough to um, limit yourself to what you tell. And, and I think that, you know, as 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 a writer or as writers, sometimes it's it, it can be more powerful to you know you may know the answers to everything, but but the the the, the desire to you know convey all that you know to your you know to your readers or, or to the players, I think it's it's tough to you know it's tough to hold that back, and it's tough to you know hey we're going to give them this bit of information and this bit of information, even though I know all this other stuff, I'm not going to tell that to the players, and I'm going to let them. You know, take what I gave them and and let them work with that and and there's a lot of power there you know yeah um, and 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 uh, and I think it, that worked in our favor in those early games because technically even if we wanted to tell a bunch of story we couldn't do it anyway <laughs> you, were, so. you were limited in how yeah, much yeah, what exactly. you could say yeah right. um was the I feel like now I'm start I'm gonna start to get into stuff where you're gonna wind up correcting me and and, okay. and that'll be fun but. But I'm curious, uh, when you first came up with Shao Kahn, when you got to like MK2 and it was mm -hmm. time to reveal the Emperor and you brought him in, mm -hmm. I it was only somewhat recently that I saw that ultimately in the lore he was the god that was assigned to protect Outworld and then he usurped and became the Emperor. Was any of that stuff on your radar at that no, point? No, I think, or, yeah. so someone must have done that after I left. Okay. <laughs> so the only thing, I think the only thing that I had established with Shao Kahn was that he was he was just a warrior and we didn't know much about his past. And actually, I kind of liked it that way. Yeah, right. You know, like he he's, you makes know, him scarier. You don't right. know how he was able to attain such power. It, exactly, yeah. right. And I, you know, when I think now, like I think about Darth Vader and I, and you knew that he was, he turned bad and you, you knew a lot about him, but you didn't, you didn't know that he was a you know a five year old boy, you mm -hmm. know living on Tatooine like with like a bunch of midi chlorians. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> like when when um you know like when Phantom Menace came out and that level of detail with Darth Vader you know was revealed, um, you know I thought like I didn't real I didn't need to know any of that stuff. Like, <laughs> it could have started at Attack of the Clones and I would have been just fine. You know yeah. with with him already kind of grown up. I didn't need to know where he came from and you know who his mom was and all that stuff. In right. fact, you know I would say that it made me. Like, you know, the, I think the idea maybe is that you empathize with Darth Vader a little bit, but but it certainly made him feel less, you know, right. uh, less evil because it's like I, I saw him as a five year old and he was a cute little kid. And, you know, anyway, so did I had you, no did you empathize with him in Attack of the Clones? 
well, he kind of became whiny <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to get critical. Sure. But, uh, but anyway, what I'm saying is I had no desire to see Shao Kahn as a five-year-old. Like, yeah. I didn't want to know where he came from. All, all I wanted the player to know was that he's, um, you know, he's a badass warlord who has, you know, beaten realm after realm, and now he's coming for Earth, and he's we better get our yeah. shit together or he's going to, you know... He's going to take us over. And so um, I think that was all sort of the, the Shao Kahn backstory I wanted to reveal, other than the, you know, the shitty stuff that he did with um, Sindel um, and Katana and, you know, their family. I mean, that was, right. that was pretty brutal. Yeah. But, um, but outside of that, that was just more of a reinforcement of mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a bad guy and he does bad things. And, um, you know, that's all the player really needs, needs to know. They need to fear him and not really empathize with him. That's right. not what he was The more about. you know, the less scary he kind exactly. of becomes. Because, right. Yeah. That, that was kind sense. of my take on, on him. Sure. Mm-hmm. What, um, as you were kind of building out the storylines, like game by game, um, for the characters that sort of you started, started with, like Liu Kang and like Sub-Zero and Scorpion, I think in particular, his story kind of had a lot <laughs> of like dips uh, yeah, and, tur- right. and twists and stuff. Yeah. Uh, what I guess, which character did you enjoy, uh, I would say, writing the most, like kind of guiding the story of, and um, and which character's storyline surprised you the most as you were sort of discovering where you were able to take them? Hmm. You know, the, those first games, I don't know that, that other than Sub-Zero and Scorpion, those guys were kind of, you know, back and forth all over the place with their, you know, relationship with each other and what was going on. Um but, um, you know, for me, Liu Kang was sort of the linchpin. It's like he was, he was the, you know, the sort of the guiding force of where the story was going. Um, uh, so, you know, I think, I think that he, you know, regardless of what else was going on in, in those first few games, you know, we always kind of followed his, um, you know, his path. And so I would, I would say Liu Kang more than any of the other, uh, of the, of the other characters. Right. You know? Were you uh, so now? Now that you know kind of where they took uh, Luke Kang in the current games, are you? How surprised I guess were you when you got to? I, I know we talked a little bit earlier, and you were saying that like you've kind of gotten back into playing the games uh, mm-hmm. recently. The the more recent games, <laughs> how wild I guess was it to to play the games and see like how dark Luke Kang's story got and how right different from kind of I mean at, at the beginning. I guess we'll we'll get to this in a little bit, but but in the beginning when you were imagining kind of Liu Kang's story mm-hmm. and ultimately where it went, did you see a happier ending <laughs> for that character than sort of where? Um, uh... You know, I think um, I remember when when we worked on MK4, um, feeling that we were retreading a little bit too much. Like I remember mm-hmm. after that not being super satisfied with kind of where that story went. I was, I liked you know MK4 and and the the. Uh, mythology sub-zero game that came out were kind of tied together there were characters that we introduced in both those products that uh you know specifically quan chi and shinnok and the nether realm and you know that whole thing so i thought that was a good advancement in the you know the lore that we were telling but individually with the characters i you know it was kind of like we were just on autopilot you know i I kind of Mm -hmm. felt that a little bit um and so um you know i remember post mk4 thinking um that uh that beyond that, um, I wanted to kind of advance the story in a way that introduced some new, uh, you know, new characters, maybe the next generation of fighters, which they ended up doing, you know, in MK, but they ended up, I mean, it took, the, it took them 10 years to, to do that. Cause yeah. I don't think the, the, the 3d era games didn't really, the didn't three- introduce the you know, children of the, of the, the, 
no fighters yeah I that think happened later in the 3d era it was definitely they were introducing a lot of new characters yeah. it's probably like a 50 50 for new and returning characters uh-huh. but they were kind of more supporting cast around the mainstays it didn't really yeah it didn't really advance to showing like the next generation right. i thought it was cool that mkx ultimately did let the characters age right even and show you like right so yeah, but. yeah anyway so post mk4 that was my thought was oh we need to move ahead and we need to you know um you know, uh, let's let's you know, do it in a way that that doesn't um, you know where we don't lose the original roster because I because you know quite obviously they're they're so ingrained in pop culture you can't have an MK without a Sub Zero or a Scorpion you know sure. those guy those guys are kind of the staples maybe the same thing with Raiden Striker uh, Striker <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, um, but you know I thought that it might be cool like maybe that what happens in the next generation and and you know. Um, but anyway, you know, uh, you know, along those lines, um, I, I don't mind the idea that Liu Kang dies, you know, or that something tragic happens to him. Because when, you know, if you think about it, these guys are fighters. Look at the world they're mixed up in, yeah. you know, and, and how dangerous it is. And so somebody at some point has to bite the bullet. And so, you know, it, it's a little, it, it, it's kind of easy to pick, you know, a mainstay, but, um, you know, for dramatic effect. But, um, but, you know, if you can make it work, I think that that, 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 that wasn't a bad way to go. Um, yeah, I ate it up. I mean, that was just such an insane, dramatic turn mm-hmm. for a character that they had, yeah, played sort of, I mean, maybe only up to MK4, but they'd played sort of softball with Luke Kang. You right. guys, you know, were protecting the main character yeah. of the franchise. Right. And, uh, yeah, and I guess in the 3D era, they also sort of, you know, they killed Luke Kang. They right. turned him into a zombie. They turned him into a ghost. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, yeah, those more recent games have just been absolutely brutal with... Uh, his arc in a way that I thought was really, really interesting. Uh, right. Well, so the la- the latest game they introduced, you know, the concept of time travel. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's kind of like inevitable. That's like the plot device du jour. <laughs> you know, nowadays it's like time travel. We're gonna go yeah. back in time. And, a slightly alternate universe. Yeah, exactly. Keep right. Some of the stuff, um, but yeah. but I think that was a good choice. You know, yeah. because it because it allowed them to kind of show the you know the I you know Liu Kang younger Liu Kang and hey young Liu Kang look at what you turn into and he's like holy fuck, this is not cool. Um, and so I think that was uh, that was kind of a cool thing. Yeah, it seemed like an interesting way too. I think to play off of what you guys were doing at the very beginning, an interesting way, which was making someone who is so unbeatable mm-hmm. and such a uh, prototypical hero right. that once faced with the idea that they can't win uh, or that they are going to experience like great loss, maybe doesn't handle it great. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not something that they're. Yeah. Uh, equipped to handle or, or right yeah. so he so he he was killed and uh what was the deal he like went to uh did they did he go to netherrealm yeah in the most recent timeline he's he's killed by raiden because right. in a way that i thought actually played in an interesting way off of like the the ego of um the real bruce lee uh, yeah, or yeah. the like well-reported ego of the real bruce lee like uh-huh. he gets in a big fight over whether he knows the right thing to do or raiden does because raiden's you know trying to process uh a, a terrible message made some said. questionable choices yeah. yeah um but uh but yeah it was it, he goes to the nether realm he uh is basically like quan chi's slave there for a while then he becomes like the king of the nether realm right and he, okay yeah uh but he redeems himself at the end of the doesn't he at the at the end of the of 11 a little bit luke hang does the, is that or is that that's just um, it's the young luke hang that's brought into the yeah, present that right, does. Okay, i okay. think the the old luke hang kind of refuses to back down and they yeah. 
they merge and Raiden merges with Liu Kang. And well, the, uh, well, so yeah. the beaten Liu Kang or the evil Liu Kang, right? He w- he witnessed loss. The, yes. The, uh, the yeah. younger Liu Kang did not. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, not yet. Younger right. Liu Kang had yeah, still yet, right, uh, yeah. had his friends. Yeah. You know, it's funny because with Raiden, I know that um, he he so he now comes across as a bit of a bumbler. Yes. Right. Because it's like look at all the he, shitty choices you know, he, he means made. Well. Yeah. Exactly. Right. He's, <laughs> he tried. Um, but you know, even the so the first three games. You know, the, the, the idea was the, the first game, you know, there was a tournament and all that, and Liu Kang wins. And then the second, uh, um, in the second game, we don't tell this in the, in, the, in the game really, but we did a comic book, you know, mm-hmm. the collector's edition comic book. I don't know if you, if you had a chance to read that. But the story that we, we kind of tell in there and that, and that, that I, you know, I, I, my intention was that, you know, Shang Tsung got a, a second chance by Shao Kahn and his plan was, uh, you know, if you challenge a Mortal Kombat champion to a fight and they accept, another tournament starts. Mm. And so the idea was that they, he went into Earth, slaughtered the Shaolin to um, lure Liu Kang into accepting a challenge and going into Outworld to get it, you know, getting revenge. That was kind of the idea. Okay, and that's why the tournament actually isn't happens. Right, yeah, exactly right. That was kind of the idea. And I think the only place we really... Um, maybe detail that a little bit was in that comic book. Um, and, oh wow! And then the idea was um, while that while they went into and the and then Raiden doesn't really stop them, but you know the idea was that for him, you know, in MK two, Raiden really was kind of just becoming the mentor because in MK one he wasn't really that. Um, yeah. The idea was that he was a god with wisdom and all that kind of stuff just by virtue of being a god. But it wasn't until MK two that he kind of fell into the role of I am now. Uh, you know, he's more the mentor and we started to kind of sort that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but the idea was that Raiden was, you know, was to say to, uh, Liu Kang, you know, Hey, don't, don't accept, but he accepts because he wants to go and, you know, get revenge and mm-hmm. Sonya's in the outworld. So Jax wants to go out there. That was kind of what lured those guys into the outworld. And then the idea was while they went in the outworld to go get their revenge back on earth, Sindel is being reborn. And so the so the, in MK three it wasn't that it was after they lost MK two it was while they were in the outworld during uh, MK two that this other shit was going on behind their backs and so that's why they lured them in the outworld so that they could do this other bullshit on Earth you know and and invade that way and cheat um, and so anyway back to Raiden you know um, all that stuff happened under his watch so if you think about <laughs> him it's like he's kind of a He's a bit of a bumbler. It's like, you're the god of thunder. You're the protector of earth. And you didn't see this happen. And you, you had didn't one see job. That happen. Yeah, exactly right. You had one job. Uh, but anyway, that was kind of the, that was the implication that we meant. I don't know how, how successful we were. I mean, obviously you missed maybe that little bit. Yeah, um, I, this, is, this is good because I, I want you to explain to me the stuff that I've been getting wrong uh, over the course of these seasons. That was, so that stuff was, that was the intention. You know, okay. The intention was that, right. and um, you know whether again whether we were successful conveying that or not, I don't know. I guess that's that's debatable. But that was kind of the idea there. Okay. Was that um, Shang Tsung is you know um, he's a trickster, and this is and and Shao Kahn was using Shang Tsung to come up with these schemes to hey I want Earth, and if we can't get it you know through winning this tournament, go find another way for me to take it. Oh, so um, Shao Kahn is basically like Shang Tsung. You're a scummy piece of shit. You you you're the guy that's going to come up with a weird skeezy plan for us. Right? To- yeah. Figure it. Figure this out. And so <laughs> so it was all part of their machinations. Yeah. In the first three games, was them trying to figure out how do we? There were these rules, you know, with this tournament and you know these elder gods who make these rules, and we can't 
you know, we can't, you know, break those rules, but what else, what other ways can we do it? And so apparently there was, um, this idea that if, if, um, if the queen of a ruler of one realm, if any, if any ruler of a, the, the implication was that if any ruler of a realm or royalty of a realm was ever to be able to cross over to another realm, that it, it allowed some sort of, you know, um, merging of the realms or, or it allows, you know, the, the royalty from one realm to cross over. And that's the, the idea was that in MK3 was now Shao Kahn can step into Earth. Right. Kind of take Earth. I do want to talk about the mechanics of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the rule is that if, I guess the, the reason the rule is in place is like, let's say hypothetically, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sindel was single and she was yeah. the queen of Edenia and she met Shao Kahn, the king of Outworld. Uh-huh. And they just fell in love and decided to get married. Uh-huh. It's kind of like back in, you know, medieval Europe. It's right. like you're uniting the kingdoms. Right. Now you can cross over as that much as you want. That was the idea. You're uniting the realms. Okay. Kinda, yeah. So Shao Kahn's scheme, if I understand it correctly, or Shang Tsung's scheme that Shao Kahn is using was, we will... Was he ever officially married? He married Sindel before she killed herself, yes, right? Yes, he did, right. Okay, so he married Sindel. She killed herself. Uh-huh. She's been dead. Right. Then he goes... <laughs> a he long has, time ago this happened. A long time, a long ago. time ago. Thousands of years yes, ago. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, Earth he, years. Yeah. Earth years. Right. <laughs> he, has, he has Shang Tsung um, bring her corpse, her skeleton probably, right, bring to, her back to, life. to Earth realm and bring her back to life there. So... In the story, she then becomes technically queen of Earth because she was. Yeah, well, but the idea is that the the the, the realms merge. Right. So Earth is not Earth anymore. Earth becomes a part of Outworld. Okay, so so it's more like she's already there. So it's already like you're already. Gl- it's a glitch in the system, kind right. of yeah, to exactly begin with. Right. Like they cheat. It's it's absolutely they cheated. They okay. cheated and. Right. You know, um, so it's not like a way around the rules by like making her the queen of Earth by right. resurrecting the, on Earth. Yeah, not at all. It was right. more just a matter of like she was technically the queen of Outworld. Right. And she was already in Earth, so just, that just immediately started things merging. Like the the system was collapsing. Kind of. and, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't work out the details behind that <laughs> stuff, but that's the general. I need answers, that's, man. That's, that's a general idea. Well, like I yeah. said, there wasn't a whole lot of room for exposition. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. so fortunately. We use that as an advantage sometimes to kind of skirt the details yeah. behind some of this stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we use it in our advantage to sort of, you know, uh, advance the story in a way that was exciting for the players as well. So it worked, yeah. you know, it worked both ways. I mean, there was literally nothing more exciting for me as a kid than yeah. Mortal Kombat 3, just because the idea of like worlds colliding, and I'd say it like every single episode, the idea of just like centaurs and dragons storming through. You know, I, I've heard you say that so. <laughs> I think that maybe in the in the later games did did they do that expositionally like 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 show the centaurs attacking and fighting with um, people on Earth? Yes. Okay. Because because yeah. uh, in MK3 the idea was that um, was that um, they took the souls of every living human on the planet. Right. So pretty much everyone was gone. Everyone was gone. The only people who were left were chosen warriors. Right. And so when um, when the realm started to merge, there was nobody left on Earth. So it's to just like empty city. Exactly right. Yeah. Everything was a, completely abandoned, with the exception of the the chosen warriors who they couldn't take their souls for whatever the rules were. Um, and um, that's I think I think maybe in the in that story we said that they were being hunted maybe by Shao Kahn's forces. They were aware His death that squads. right. They yeah. were aware that there were these warriors kind of sprinkled around the Earth. You know, as the realms were melging or uh, merging. And then they wanted to kind of hunt them all down and kind of get them out of the way. Okay, that that makes that makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah. kind of. <laughs> I'm sure you can. I'm sure if you get into the the you know if you get into the weeds with this stuff, you can find you know. No, uh, it's perfect. Uh, yeah, no, exactly right. It works. Right. Yeah. How old were you when those games came out? Oh, uh, MK3. I would have been. What was it? 95? Yeah. Uh, six years old. Okay, so six year old you. It was perfect. Lo- yeah, it was perfect for you. Yeah, so that's it worked. great. So we did our job. <laughs> it worked for me. <laughs> we impressed a hell out of six year old. In my imagination, <laughs> I was like in Galaxy Skateway, standing uh-huh. in front of the Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 machine and just thinking, like, man, if a centaur just burst in here right, right. now, that'd be sick. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, okay, so. So, yeah, in like proper lore, it's more like all of a sudden one day people are walking around and then. Are their bodies gone too, or is it more just like everyone's corpses just drop to the ground? No, no. The idea is that their, just their bodies are their gone. Bodies. You know, imagine, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, at the end of um, Infinity War when everybody yeah. kind of turned to ashes. That kind of a thing. Everybody right. just kind of yeah. Infinity in. War blatant ripoff of That's Mortal right. Kombat Three. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to claim that. Yeah. Uh, but no, they. Um, yeah, the idea was that their souls just kind of you know get sucked away into um, into the what was it. I hear you. Solnado. Solnado. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny hearing that as part of the vernacular because Solnado, the name of, I think that was it. We had a background in MK3 that it was the there was a Solnado in yeah. MK3, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, like a graveyard. Or there was something. an artist uh, who worked with us, uh, you know, on those early games, Tony Goski, and so he created a lot of the environments you saw with the Outworld. That was Tony, and um, so he created that tornado of souls. And he's the one who who named it the Solnado, kind of half jokingly. But it actually it's funny to hear that it stuck because I don't think we actually used that term in those early games. Yeah, they must have brought that back later. Uh, you know, if it's actually used, so that's it, it, no, it hundred percent is like a word that's used a ton in uh, Mortal Kombat Five. Oh, is it okay? That's like Quan Chi and Shang Tsung's deadly alliance. Their entire plan revolves around making the a Solnado. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's funny too because that's. I mean, that happens. I think every like TV show I've written on that has happened where uh-huh. we come up with like a goofy temp name that makes us laugh, and then right. ultimately that just winds up being, being yeah. the name of a character. Sure. A show that I just worked on that just came out, uh, Kipo, uh, which is on Netflix. Mm. Uh, there's a character named Hogue that gets introduced at the end of the first season. Uh, his it stands for HOA guy because we, oh, talk, that's funny. we talked about him as like yeah he's annoying like an HOA guy he's like hassling people about the uh-huh. rules and stuff and then his name just became Hogue oh that's great that's yeah, a good name <laughs> it's like in in the first season it's just in uh-huh. there yeah um, no explanation needed yes and yeah. I think that just happens a lot right. and then people don't know until you bring it up later and you're like oh yeah we were like kind of joking it was a bit but then it just became the name right the thing. yeah yeah well it's, so it's kind of, so with us. Where did that happen? So Ermac is exactly that. Right. Ermac is like this, you know, um, just uh, us sort of playing on rumors, you know, uh, from the game. Yeah. Uh, from those early games. Um, Noob Cybot, same thing. Mm-hmm. Those are, you know, again, Rain. You know, those were, um, you know, being purple certainly is, you know, Ed was a huge um, Prince fan. Sure. And so the Who creation of, of, of Rain and, and him, the fact that he's purple is no coincidence. That's Ed's homage to Prince. <laughs> Um, but the, um, the early stories for those characters, we came up with after the fact. Um, so right. even Noob Saibot was, we had to concoct something, you know, in those early games. And I don't think we gave them quite the, we didn't give them certainly the, the same attention that we gave the core characters. And so the later games, I think actually brought them back and gave them, you know, proper yeah. stories. Yeah. I, one character I'm really curious about. So obviously Mortal Kombat 3, you guys added a, t- a ton of new characters and like wildly expanded the mm-hmm. world and like what people knew of it. Um, when you created Cabal, that's oh, yeah. a character that was like so mysterious to me as a kid. I like could not wrap my head around What's what he was, yeah. like how he existed. Cause he seemed to be using magic, but he, 
looked kind of like a character out of Mad Max, but he had the scary burned face. So maybe he was a monster. Right. Um, specifically with Cabal, what was kind of your thinking in creating that character? Uh, like? You know, he, he wasn't actually too deep. Um, the, you know, the idea behind him was that he was a chosen warrior who was, um, you know, attacked and kind of left for dead. And so the respirator that you see on him is just really a breathing apparatus to kind of keep him alive. Um, and I think we tied him into the Black Dragon and Kano maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there really wasn't that. Like, I, I, I remember coming up with that particular story. And um, I think we liked the idea that he was um, sort of, a, he was a hero character, but he was apart from, you know, the, the, there's like the, the, you know, the, the, the cool click. Yeah. And then there's him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, and so that was kind of the idea was that, um, we wanted him to kind of feel outlandish, feel apart from the, you know, the, the, the core cast. Um, I think we were successful in that. Like he certainly didn't look like he fit in with the other guys and that was kind of done purposely. Like yeah. we, the, what we wanted to convey was he even, the idea was just by looking at him and the, the difference of, in his appearance and, and kind of the, the little bits of his backstory were to imply that he felt like he was, you know, disassociated with all this other stuff that was kind of going on. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- I think we were kind of successful in conveying that. Sounds like we were. Like, no, you know, definitely. I yeah. mean, like, he was just so mysterious to me. And I think that's a cool way of, of looking at it, too. Like, when you're adding all these heroic characters, you're adding this idea of there are chosen warriors, you know, all over the world who right. maybe just haven't been approached by Raiden yet, haven't been in a Mortal Kombat right. tournament yet. And just one guy who just imagining like that day for him he like walks outside all of a sudden everyone's gone and then like a centaur rushes up and tries to kill him and right, yeah. leaves him for dead and he <laughs> has to like get a mask to survive yeah so the idea between <laughs> he and striker similar only in that they didn't know that they were chosen warriors that had anything to do with any of this stuff that yeah. was kind of the concept behind them was they were just they're just mixed up in this and they they don't they you know of all the characters they kind of don't understand what's going on and they mm-hmm. this is kind of their first introduction to it and so that was kind of the idea behind them was right. that they were, they were they were they were meant to kind of feel like outsiders a little bit. Man, that's wild. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and also, uh, th- one thing that I, I'd kind of always been curious about that was in the first game um, was the is it the Furies? There's a reference to Raiden. Yeah, and uh, the Furies. There was well, so um, I think that what we so the idea that there were ten tournaments or, the, or you had to win ten and there were mm-hmm. nine, that didn't happen till later, much right. later. And in fact, um, I think the only thing we um, meant to imply was that there was sort of the Furies were sort of the yin and yang of the universe. And, oh, okay. and with regards to Outworld and Earth, the what the implication was that if you if we lose too many, these things become unbalanced and we become susceptible, you know, to you know, uh, these beings from these other places. Um, that was as much as we knew. We didn't start, <laughs> you know, developing the construct of the tournament and, and stuff until later. Um, and then, you know, I remember specifically in MK2, we started to work that stuff out. And it was after we had done that, I think that's when sort of the production on the, the film started happening. And mm. those guys kind of had come to us. And I remember conveying that story to them. Um, and they kind of took that and ran with it. And the mm. idea that, oh, there's 10 and you know, we've lost nine. That happened in the film. That didn't, never happened in the first two games. Oh, okay. Um, and I think if we adapted it in the games, that happened post that film. And so I remember um, during Mortal Kombat 3, we were, we were trying to advance the story, but we were trying not to be too contradictory to the stuff that they were presenting in the film um, or, or that sequel film. And, and there were some things that they did that we were like, fuck that, we're not doing that in our game. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, but then there were things that we thought, okay, 
let's adopt that just so that there's some bit of continuity, be, you know, between the two things. Sure. Um, but there wasn't much of that. But but the idea of ten tournaments, we lost nine. That happened in the film. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And so that's if we so if, uh, yeah. so if that appears in the later games, it was adopted from. That's where that was born. That's cool. Yeah, I had no idea that, that came out of the movie. I just rewatched the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's the first time that. Yeah. You, so in the in the. Um, the second game was we started referring to this as, as um, I think, uh, we started to, to, to have to sort of better develop the idea behind a tournament and, well, what are the rules? If it's a tournament, tournament implies rules. What, you know, what, does, that, what does that imply? And, and we started to have to kind of worry about that stuff. But the first game, we were, we were kind of ambiguous to, you know, to a lot of it. Yeah. So I guess as far as like even ideas like the, the Furies go, like those kind of vague things in the beginning – they did kind of wind up working their way back because Mortal Kombat uh, 10 was all about the idea of like the Jinsei chamber and like okay. Shinnok is after Earth's Jinsei energy. And it, it was basically a way of saying this force or this energy that is the balance of like the universe. And, right. Um, so yeah, it's just funny that like even those early ideas that are kind of just cast mm-hmm. off, like do kind of come back around and... Right. And it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you guys kind of hinted at ultimately became much more developed lore that... I guess as as you left the series mm-hmm. and other people came on and started mm-hmm. writing and uh, I think it's cool that they kind of kept those ideas or expanded on ideas from like yeah right so um, I don't think they steered too widely away from you know certainly the original the original concepts um, you know I know that um, I, I hear from players complaining a lot about particular characters that they're not happy with maybe a direction that the character mm. has taken. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't match what we did in the original, you know, games. And uh, it's tough to remind people that, hey, you know, we never developed the exposition behind that character as well as you think we did. You know, we, we you know, again, and I think that's the power of, and that's why I think the original roster continues to resonate so well, was mm-hmm. because if you look at the construct of that roster, they did, you know, each character kind of did adapt to a specific character archetype. And we were able to kind of, you know, you can you can maintain that only for so long, but the but the more that you add more characters, the harder it becomes to maintain that. And yeah. certainly when you start to get to 60, 70 characters, forget it. Like it's it's very, very difficult to you know, I see those guys, you know, even now wrestling with those issues. Um, and so, um, you know, we I think those early games, we had the advantage of, you know, it would there was there was such a, a, a you know, um, looking back on it now there was such a small roster that we were able to to really um coordinate you know the relationships and not repeat the archetypes you know yeah luke hang's our hero there's one hero johnny cage can't be the hero he's a sidekick doofus you know he's the jack burton of uh, yeah he's a jack burton in mortal Kombat. that's it's funny it's funny watching him kind of become a hero because the idea was that he's a he's kind of the idiot buffoon he's and i'm not joking when i say he's the jack burton kind of the idea was when you watch you know when i saw big trouble in little china back then it was so hard to watch that character be the doofus because it was Kurt Russell. Yeah. And, you know, as a kid, I had a certain idea of who Kurt Russell is supposed to be because I saw um, Escape from New York, you know, mm-hmm. and he's a hero. And by golly, he's he's in big trouble in Little China. He's going to come in there and he's going to kick some ass. And to he's watch gonna, him... He's going to mop up all that trouble. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right. And to watch him come in and he's just this buffoon was, was hilarious, you know. Yeah. And I, it's funny because um, I was I was just talking with someone about um, the the director's commentary in, on Big Trouble in China, and and hearing Kurt Russell and John Carpenter talk about that character and how hard it was for audiences to accept him as being the bumbler and um, 
And they think maybe that may have been a reason why theatrically that movie didn't, you know, didn't do as well as as they had hoped. I was just talking about this in a, I was talking about it in a meeting about like a a project I was working on. We were talking about like how to have interesting character, interesting lead characters that uh, shouldn't be the lead. And we were talking about how like one of the, one of the most fun things about watching Big Trouble in Little China is you realize as you're watching it right. for the first time, like, oh, his friend is the lead. That's right. Yeah, exactly. He's not He's uh-huh. not the hero in the story. Right. He's just the main character of the movie. That's right. Yeah. He's just the guy you're spending the most time with. Mm-hmm. But it is like, it's like following Sancho Panza in right. a Don Quixote movie. Yes, yeah. He's not the hero. Right. He, he scrapes by. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so I did. I did find it really interesting that like Johnny Cage ultimately becomes... The hero. More it's also hero interesting because, like, yeah. I think, like, part of the joke of Big Trouble in Little China is this white guy wanders into this culture <laughs> yeah. that he doesn't understand. Exactly. Which is which is kind of what Mortal Kombat was, <laughs> if you argue in the beginning. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, um, when I look at the the, the current games, um, and uh, you know, it's almost more like Greek mythology. You know, it's become like there's a pantheon of gods, and there's and this stuff is super complicated, mm-hmm. and I love that stuff. Like, yeah. I think that. Um, you know, had I stuck around, we inevitably would have had to have, you know, um, travel that road as well. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think that, um, you know, uh, players are going to want that sort of growth. Um, and so, um, you know, while, while like I, you know, earlier, I think I, I said that I think that you have to kind of discipline yourself in terms of what you're willing to expose to the, you know, to the player, because if you expose too much, well, there's nothing, you know, it's not, the story doesn't, it stops being emergent. It's like you're not really learning. You're not, you're yeah. not living with it. You're um, not in the perspective of the characters who themselves are or, learning. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, if they, if the player knows too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but, you know, it's a tough, like, uh, I think they've done a great job, you know, in the, in the, in the current games. But, it, but it's a difficult thing to wrestle with, you know. Um, and especially, like I said, once the roster starts growing, it's, it's going to be very difficult to, um, you know, to replicate the popularity of those early characters again, only because they were there at the birth of it. So. Yeah, and it's tough because you could never get away with releasing a fighting game now that only has like eight characters. Right. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even just like looking at the latest Smash Bros. game, there's like 70, 80 characters, and right. people are still asking for more. more and yeah. There's I think no, people even with the last MK game were like, there should be more fighters in this, but there's over twenty, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what direction the story could have gone in uh or what like the elseworlds version of the mortal kombat story would have been like for the the ideas that you'd had in your head going beyond mortal kombat 4 before we get into that i am curious is there anything else i've gotten uh wrong oh uh over the course of this podcast as i try to nitpicky things Uh, i want to hear i want to hear that oh i know one you guys are talking when sean kittleson was on i listened to that one and you guys are talking about nightwolf and um uh and then specifically about um, him uh, being a part of the Lakota tribe. Yes. And so I don't think we ever, or at least when I was there, we yeah. never attributed him to a specific tribe. I remember. Oh, in Mortal Kombat 3. 3. And, I don't oh, think yeah. we did. Yeah, not in the arcade mm. game because I think we were purposely vague. And I remember being conscious of tiptoeing around, you know, the, the sensitivities around Native Americans and yeah. not wanting to offend anybody because I thought the visuals of night night wolf are borderline stereotypical and so that was a little you know i i was never really comfortable with maybe you know his the visual qualities of him and i think it ended up working for us but um but i knew that we were on 
touchy ground. And right. you know, it's a it's a video game. It's Mortal Kombat. I don't know how seriously anybody right. would have taken this stuff, but I certainly didn't mean to offend anybody. Yeah. Um, and so I, I know that we purposely did not attribute <laughs> him to a specific tribe. So if, so if he was tied to the Lakota tribe, that must have been something that happened later on. If it happened, yeah, I could I could uh, I'd, I'd have to go and like check now if it was something that was brought up like when they introduced like sin eating and everything in like the fifth or the sixth game. I forget mm. when they brought him back. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not familiar with those those yeah. those the 3D era games. So they, right. they may have yeah. Yeah, but it would make sense. I mean, you guys were you had so little that you could even begin to say about those characters right, to yeah. begin with. Yeah. I mean, the, I think, I think the, the only thing I remember about him was the, the idea was that I remember he was like a historian and preserver yeah. of his, uh, you know, of his, um, of, of, you know, of his tribe. Um, and I think the, you know, the idea behind his character was that for some reason, um, the sacred lands of his tribe were not, um, could not be encroached on by Outworld. Mm-hmm. And so that it was a protective area that I think we imply that the, that um, maybe the other warriors had to kind of get there for safety. Uh, we, I mean, we, again, there was no exposition right. in the story. Right, like stories. one line in some Yeah, exactly right. So we couldn't work it out. It. But that was kind of the idea was that it's, that was like, you know, the safe place on earth was yeah. his sacred land. Um, and so I mean, we didn't get into the details about why that was or anything, but yeah. that was kind of his, the idea behind him being in the story. That's cool. I guess you could potentially tie that to you know, earlier times on Earth and earlier encounters with uh, other realms. Sure. <laughs> sure, maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, cool. Anything Anything else that you caught that, uh, uh, obviously, the, the soul ripping, uh, Circa <laughs> MK3. Let's get so nitpicky. Let's yeah. see what's another one. This is good. Liu I want Kang, the picks to Liu get Liu Kang nit- was not left at... at on the door on the was it uh, someone I think you said he was left yes, on the doorstep of the Shaolin doorstep. Temple yeah. yeah that that wasn't um, I just certainly didn't put that into his backstory I think that um, we actually wrote very little about his history okay um, similar I, to I guess avoiding saying too much about like Shao Kahn yeah exactly other than that he was raised you know he was raised in the Shaolin Temple to be a warrior you know to fight in this tournament um, and all those things and um, I think in the um I think we talked a little bit about his history only in like a bio card mm-hmm. in the back of that comic book. <laughs> I got to find this comic book. I don't yeah, think I, can't I did believe, read it. You have to have them. This is for Mortal Kombat 2? 1 and 2. 1 and 2. That stuff's canon. Shit. Yeah. All right. I'm going to find this comic that book. That stuff's canon. And it's, that yeah, there's stuff, PDFs online somewhere. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. And the first comic, like I said, I think a lot of that material, when you see the movie and you re- read that comic and you see yeah. the movie, it's like, oh, that's exactly in the movie. You know, they took that stuff from that comic book. But I think in there, in his bio card, maybe we say, I think we even give the names of his parents. Oh, um, oh you know what? One of, the, one of the patrons for the Patreon for this podcast, Neil, uh-huh. has been posting scans of that booklet in okay. the, uh, we have like a Discord channel. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So this is all canon. That was the intention. I mean, I don't know. You know, again, the later no, games. No, this is canon. <laughs> <laughs> no, the later games after I left, they may have retconned some of that stuff. So sure. I don't know how much, you know, what was rewritten or not. But 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 I know originally the idea was that um, he was not orphaned. He was, you know, he chose to be be become a part of that. Um, oh, man. And, uh, and then I think the film, they changed his story. You know, he became the descendant of Kung Lao. They, like, mixed up, you know. Kung Lao, they thought that um, Kung Lao being the descendant meant that he should be the hero and he should be the one who's, you know, he's a chosen one. But our idea of Kung Lao was that um, 
he was the chosen one, but rejected his place and left the temple. And mm. Lu, you know, he so he Liu had, Kang had to step up. And, that's right. And that, that was kind of the idea. And okay. and so Lu, you know, um, and I think I don't know where we wrote this, but I remember the intention was that they were both part of the Shaolin Temple. Um, for whatever reason, Kung Lao became you know um, disenchanted with whatever was going on, left. Um, I don't know what the White Lotus Society became, but we only, you know, insinuated things related to the White Lotus Society. But the idea was that um, Kung Lao didn't, the idea of a tournament and, and everything that was going on there, he didn't buy into anymore and thought, hey, we can do better good as members of this White Lotus Society where they're actually out. And that we never detailed what they were doing. But the idea was that he left to join the White Lotus Society and went to Liu Kang and said, Hey, come and join me. Look at what we're doing. This is all bullshit. This stuff with this tournament and all this other nonsense. Um, and that was sort of the the oh man. That was the relationship between those two guys. That was the 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 intended relationship between between those two guys was that. That's really fascinating. So the idea being that Kung Lao, that the White Lotus Society in this version was kind of like a a police force, I guess, kind of. of warriors on Earth, like protecting Earth. From real threats. Right. So like they were... Kind of like an FBI versus CIA. Well, yeah, I don't know exactly what they were doing, but you know, they were protecting people from the triads, from whatever. You know, they right. were just going around the world. They were do-gooders. Right. Um, and the Avengers. Kind of. Sure. We never really get into it. But, yeah. but the idea was that um, it was more about, um, you know, he was a disenchanted warrior. And, yeah. Um, and only, you know, after the, the tournament happens and Liu Kang wins, he kind of comes back. That was the idea in MK2. He comes back. Oh, okay. They, they slaughter the, you know, the, the temple. Kung Lao comes back. They both, wit, you know, they see what happened there. And then he agrees to, hey, I'll help you get revenge. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the idea was that he was sort of, he, he was meant to be what Liu Kang became. That's really fascinating. Because, yeah, in the later games, it's certainly more that he wants what Liu Kang has. They made him more of like a, he was jealous. Yeah. Was that kind of the he idea? was jealous, which, I, you know, I think there's something interesting about yeah. that too, about the idea that's that way, like, that's a way to go. The descendant yeah. of the person from 500 years ago mm -hmm. isn't the hero this time around, which and, kind of says like anyone could be then. Right. Democratizes it somewhat. So there's something interesting about mm -hmm. that, but I, I really like the idea of the White Lotus Society definitely became something different. It's right. still pretty confusing to be oh, honest, okay. but if I understand it correctly, the idea is that like Raiden kind of has the White Lotus Society. Huh. They, that is sort of the like Illuminati's the wrong word, but they're like the group of people who know okay. about threats beyond our world, mm -hmm. and they have an association with the Shaolin Temple. Mm -hmm. In that the Shaolin Temple trains warriors to ultimately become a member of the White Lotus Society oh. and be involved in these. Okay. Yeah. So like the idea being that Liu Kang is technically already a member of the White Lotus Society because he's been trained to be one of Earth's champions and Kung Lao as well. Mm -hmm. Raiden's a member. I think Fujin okay. is. And Fujin's actually a character a that I'm... a little different. Yeah. yeah. Fujin was a character I actually had a quick question about. Uh, what, which realm is he the god of? He wasn't super well-developed, but the idea was he was just another god from Earth. Okay, so he, Earth has multiple gods. Yeah, then, that then, was the implication. Yeah. yeah, there are fire gods, water gods, okay. all these other gods. Raiden just happens to be the one that was picked to actually represent earth right in this you know in the larger the tournament was delegated to him right yeah because he uh, i don't know we don't know why <laughs> right. i didn't didn't get into that sure but um but that was kind of the 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 idea there right so the one god one realm idea came much later yeah i think that stuff they you know like i said they fell into the trap of of feeling the need to kind of hyper explain yeah. every little detail and 
you know, sometimes it's like I, I said earlier, it's hard to escape that. Sure. Um, but um, and it's more tempting, I think, the farther that you get along in a franchise mm-hmm. to feel the need to kind of do that. Yeah. 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 yeah sometimes I think that it, that can work against you, um, you know, but, um, you know, but, uh, you know, sometimes it works out. <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else to nitpick before, before we uh, move on? Let me think. Um, no, I think we, I think we covered everything. All right. If anything comes to mind, just, just call it out. I'll, I'll email you. Cause this is, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. It's mortal podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. Hey, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can hook you up it, with a discord. <laughs> oh, the one thing I wanted to ask you about is in that comic book. So because, uh, good old Neil, uh, our listener has been posting scans oh. in the, in the discord. Uh, we've all been obsessed with the idea that in there it says that Goro has seven wives. Oh yeah, I don't think we ever expounded on that, but yeah, he <laughs> he because he's got four arms. Yeah, you know he's got to have seven women. Why not four? Because uh, he's a player. <laughs> <laughs> was we, some of the Goro mythology like what, what was the inspiration there? Because it feels very Conan the Barbarian. Did you draw it all from that idea or like what? Not really. No. Uh... No, you know, I, the original inception of Goro was more just about um, the, the visual qualities of the character, more so yeah. than his actual, you know, backstory. So I think that was, you know, um, Ed and I wanted to have a big brute of a, of a boss. Um, yeah. And, um, and the inspiration kind of came from, you know, I've talked about this before, you know, old Ray Harryhausen movies. I remember thinking, oh, man. you know, the way to do this is, you know, we've got sort of this crude animation anyway with our, you know, um, you know, videotaped uh, uh, actors, I bet you we can, you know, get a stop motion uh, puppet looking pretty good with these guys. And so that was kind of the idea behind it. That's um, so cool. And then we just kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, grew from there. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of like his backstory and stuff, it was just like, what would be cool for this creature we've already designed? And Well, yeah, exactly right. So yeah. his backstory kind of was created a little bit later. Um, yeah. Or maybe, maybe, maybe um, concurrently. But, um, but I remember the idea was that he was... Um, uh, he was uh, just sort of this brute of a warrior from this other realm that Shang Tsung, you know, brings in to fight, you know, um, you know, for his side in the tournament. It was kind of almost like cheating. It was like, this guy's got four arms. He's a giant. No one's going to beat him. And was the idea that he's not even from Outworld, that he's from like another realm? Beyond? Uh, well, you know, you have to remember the, so the first MK game, you know, the, 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 the details behind Outworld weren't really fleshed out. It right. was, it's kind of more just a concept. Um, so Goro was from whatever this other place was, that's where he was from. I see. And then it was really kind of the later games that we started to actually it was the MK2 comic where we meet <laughs> his father, Gorbak. Gorbak, and we talk a little <laughs> bit about um, uh, Goro and how he kind of fit in. And Gorbak was pissed off that Goro died, and Shang Tsung, this was his scheme, and now mm. my son is dead, and he was pissed off that, you know, they, they, um, you know, that, that, um, they kind of talk Goro into, you know, participating and look at what happened, you know? Um, so he was pissed off about it, but, um, uh, but, you know, I think, you know, if I was to expound on Goro, I think his story is more tragic because he, you know, he, he, what I thought about him was the the Shokan race, I thought of being more of a noble race. They weren't barbarians. He wasn't, you know, they kind of did it in the film where he wasn't, um, they, they, they were kind of contradictory and, you know, you see him sitting at that table eating and speaking, and he's very well-spoken. He's yeah. not some blabbering, you know, monster. And yet they have him roar like a blabbering monster <laughs> later <laughs> on. But, but the, the idea was that, um, you know, that, um, that he was kind of a proper prince and, you know, um, and, 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 um, and had great honor. 
and agreed to participate in this tournament and maybe was duped into the machinations of Shang Tsung and mm. Shao Kahn. And, you know, because in, in certainly in MK2, the idea, again, was that, um, you know, all, what Outworld was, was all the realms that Shao Kahn has defeated. So the implication was that Shokan was one of those worlds and they lost to, you know, to Shao Kahn. And now they're living along with everybody else, you know, in, yeah. in this merged realm. And so, um, you know, and so anyway, th th I thought that if we were to develop Goro more and his race more, it would be more, you know, from that side. And I think there was an MK4 comic book <laughs> that was released with the MK4 game that I actually wrote this story for. And then there was a, but there was an actual different writer who wrote, I can't I forget his name. They worked, it was Wildstorm who helped us produce that. Okay. Um, but that story, the, the story that happens in there was kind of canon and Goro comes back in MK4. Oh, uh, um, yeah. We don't really talk about how, but we get into um, Shao Kahn is defeated. Uh, let me, I'm trying to remember that, that story. Shao Kahn, so at the end of MK3, Shao Kahn is defeated. He's gone. Yeah. Um, and uh, what happens in Outworld is they decide that Katana is, uh, they all agree that Katana is going to be our ruler. So she rules now Outworld you know, um, or, or actually her mom does, Sindel does. So oh, she, right. Sindel turns, Sindel's resurrected. She's resurrected. She turns yeah. good, right. And um, and they now rule that realm. And I think there's a there's a piece in that um, comic where um, the Shokan and the centaurs are going, you know, they're, they're at loggerheads yeah. about whatever re Not whatever's going on, right. And Kitana has to go in and kind of be the referee between them. Um, yeah, and, that was in MK Gold in a cutscene too, okay. I think, okay. which... Yeah, that was the like ultimate edition of MK4 or okay. something, right? Did you leave before MK Gold came out, or were you? No, no, I was. Yeah, I yeah. was. I was there for that. Yeah, right. I remember that's a cutscene because Kung Lao gets in the mix somehow. I don't remember the details behind some of what happened there, but yeah. Uh, but anyway, the the story that we told in that comic was intended to be canon, and probably the you know anything we did there was probably you know reflected. It's another comic I got to track down. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, that's great. So, uh, I guess like. Because I'm so curious, I've been following the story for so long. Obviously, like you were the person kind of steering the story through those first four games and and those characters. Um, and then you know you left the franchise after was it Special Forces that spinoff? Uh, well, that's when I left. Right. Um, I don't think that I think that I never I've actually never played that game, and I don't know that the story. It's funny though. I found the story for that game that I wrote. Um, and I kind of have for, you know, over the years, couldn't really remember many details about that story. Uh -huh. And, and I don't think that the game that came out really was what our original intentions were. Um, but yeah, I left, you know, right, um, uh, sort of in the middle of that. Um, right. And so, um, but yeah, so at, at that point I left. So anything that happened after that, um, was, you know, sort of people picking up, you know, the material that we had yeah. produced early on and, um, you know, and kind of, you know, ran with it. Acknowledging that, like, they made, I mean, the 3D era games, I think at the time people had mixed feelings about them. I loved them. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like another Mortal Kombat renaissance for me, like getting yeah. back into those games. And uh, the story got really creative and it changed a lot and introduced, like, the Chaos Realm and the Order right. Realm and all these other realms right. and all this stuff. But I am still curious, like, at the time that you left, did you have ideas in your head about kind of where things would go um, had they stayed on... This obviously isn't necessarily like the original version of Mortal Kombat, but the John Tobias like iteration, I guess, of that timeline, did you have ideas about kind of where things would, would, would have gone? Yeah, so I think... I remember thinking after Mortal Kombat 4, um, 
wanting to sort of you know uh, advance the story and maybe move into the ne- sort of the next generation of fighters. Right. So, were the, you thinking like kids? Yeah. Of the, oh, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's interesting. Like you know, it, it took they they did that eventually. Yeah. Ten, you know, ten years I think later. Um, but um, but yeah, that was kind of the idea was let's move on. You know, let's move on and meet some new fighters who could sort of be created in the mold of their predecessors. Right. Um, and so. Um, you know that was it was that was kind of a you know my loose idea of of, of where we, where we we would uh, potentially take it um, and you know that way I thought that we can kind of walk back um, from uh, you know again the trappings of having to continue to expand everything mm. um, you know because I felt like if if we keep expanding things get bigger and bigger and we have to explain more and more. Um, and, um, and I thought, you know, I liked the place that the early games were in terms of, you know, it felt a little bit closer to home in, in that there was a smaller roster of characters. Um, they were all kind of grounded in, you know, particular archetypes. Um, and so I thought if we can kind of dial, kind of dial things back and, 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 and use those things again, you know, to our advantage that, that that might be a way to go. So, um, so other than that, I mean, I didn't really think much, much, much of it, um, but uh, I did, it's funny, I did, uh, this was maybe 2008, it was after Armageddon, um, I wrote a uh, screenplay uh-huh. for a potential sequel movie. And I, I, oh, wow. I had been reading a lot about writing and screenwriting, and so I wanted to write just a screenplay, um, and I thought, well, I know this universe better than anything. So I sat down and in two weeks wrote. Like on spec? Like without? Uh, just on spec, just for myself. Never showed it to anybody. Huh. Wrote it, and it's like 120 pages, maybe a little bit less. The perfect length for the screenplay. For perfect yeah. length. People say it should be at least two hours long. <laughs> okay. So, um, but, so I wrote that story in, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, in that, in that script, and it was, you know, the children of the you know, uh, original fighters, um, but it was funny because, um, wait, did Liu Kang, di- he died in um, Deadly Alliance? Didn't yes. He? It opens with him getting yeah. his neck snapped. So in, so in that story, I allude to um, Liu Kang is dead. And, um, uh, and I, I, I remember not getting into the details about why he died, but, but um, there's a character who it means, Liu Kang means a lot to, who doesn't really know why or how he died, um, but just that he did die. Um, and uh, and so we kind of take things from there, and, and so it's kind of like a mystery of like what happened to Liu Kang. Or... Um, not so much a mystery, a mystery to this particular character. Oh, I see. And so okay. in the course of of the story, he learns about the history of you know of Liu Kang and what it means to him, and and how he fits into this world. Hmm. Um, and so it really becomes about. I think the story I would describe as being about um, you know being born into something that you're not prepared for, and and having to you know, the, um, the, the difficulty of taking the reins of, of something that's a very difficult, you know, uh, thing, uh, thing to do and, and, and having to kind of grow up real fast. Okay. Kind of a thing. Um, so, um, and it was, <laughs> with, he was sort of the, the, the child of Liu Kang. <laughs> Seemed like that's where that was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So I didn't want to say that. But, yeah. With but, Katana? Uh, uh, yeah, kind of with Katana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, but so we get into kind of, uh, you know, you know, why, you know, why that happened and who he was and why he's sort of um, learning these things and why it wasn't exposed to him and, and all that stuff. So kind of protected from, from that world. He's kind of, prote- yeah. so he was kind of protected from his past mm. and he's discovering, you know, who he is and how he fits in. That's cool. Um, and so that was, that was kind of the idea behind what would have happened after MK4. Um, but other than that, like, again, other than that, I didn't really, 
develop it. I mean, that's cool. And it, it, like, when you talk about like the next generation, like the children of characters beyond potentially like the the son of Liu Kang and Katana, were there other legacy? There, there were a few others, but not many. Okay. Certainly not to the extent I, I want to know who. <laughs> yeah, certainly not to the extent like the later games. I think there's a, a Johnny and Sonia um, had Cassie, and then, yeah. uh, there's Jackie, um, mm-hmm. Jackie Briggs. I think is were either character. of those character iterations no, no. of those characters on your radar? Not at all. Okay. No, and in fact, um, Sonia and Jax were in it, but they're you know older versions of them. Right. And so they were sort of they get dragged back into the you know the the you know the the mayhem and. Um, sort of become uh, uh, tutors for the, you know, for the, for this young Liu Kang. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so he learns about his father from these other people who knew him, um, you know, before he was born. So that's that cool. That's kind of the idea there, yeah. Who, uh, anyone else that you kind of had in, in mind? Uh, <laughs> How did Scorpion and Sub-Zero factor in They this? were in it. Um, uh, Sub-Zero was in it in a big way. Um, okay. And uh, uh, Scorpion uh, was as well. But Scorpion was more just sort of his undead self, you know, right. being controlled by nefarious forces okay. once again. So right. that was the extent of his involvement. Yeah, I'd seen an interview with you once where you said that you kind of built the stories around creating a villain mm-hmm. and then kind of building off from there. Had you thought ever at all about, like, what the villain would be beyond Shinnok, beyond Quan Chi? Um. I, well, so I so when I wrote this story, I did, but but earlier, um, you know, the the tough thing was falling again to the trap of okay, well, the next guy's bigger and badder, so who's yeah. who's How? beyond Shinnok? He's a fallen elder god. How much bigger do you get than that? And I guess the new game, there's the the concept of these titans and these these mm-hmm. other guys, and you keep having you fall again. You fall into the trap of having to one up yourself every time you're yeah. one upping yourself, and so. Um, that becomes difficult to maintain. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, well, guess what? There was another guy and he's even more powerful and more evil. And, you know, you thought you were in trouble back then. Well, now you're really in trouble now. So I think that when you when you walk things back and start to ground it a little bit more in our reality, it, mm-hmm. it helps you be able to kind of, you know, not have to do that again. Um, because to somebody who is especially a character who's like kind of unenlightened to this world, um, you know, you're kind of rediscovering it along with that character. And so yeah. you can kind of dial things back a little bit um, and, it, and it saves you from having to do the one up. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I did, I did like that the immediate game after four deadly Alliance, they didn't introduce like another big new right. character. They yeah. were just like yeah. Quan Chi and Shang Tsung. Did you ever think that maybe if they were together, they'd be more powerful than anyone right. and, and you buy it. You're like, Oh shit. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, cause they were That's both cool. Yeah, they were both kind of very sneaky. Yeah. Conniving, you know, that was and powerful. Like you right. didn't you really see a ceiling. It was just that they worked for other right. people. So, right. So Quan Chi, um, I remember when we created him, he was sort of the replacement of Shang Tsung. Yeah. That was the idea was so Shang Hung's Shang Tsung is the schemer and he's kind of out of the picture and we wanted to have sort of a similar character who kind of fits into that archetype, and that's kind of where Quan Chi kind of fit in. Yeah, and with Shinnok as the kind of Shao Kahn right, yeah, yeah. amalgam. Yeah. The bigger, badder. It yeah. works. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, well, that's really interesting. Uh, I just like knowing like kind of that, that what-if version of, of the timeline that kind of... Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I never... Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think too much about it. Like I said, that was that one, I, I let myself back into it for that little bit of time there and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I'm but, sure. But beyond that, I, you know, I, 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 I haven't done too much. I think, what else have I, I do a comic for MK versus DC. That's right. I did yeah. that. Yeah, I did that. Um, and then outside of that, yeah, I don't think, 
I don't think I've done done much else. I just did a bonus episode for the Patreon about Mortal Kombat versus DC because I don't consider it canon because if I did, right. then it would just be yeah, impossible yeah. Yeah, to blow everything up. Yeah. yeah, but I just ran through just the story of that game in particular, mm-hmm. and I felt like I was losing my mind because I didn't play it when it came out. Uh-huh. I think literally I'm just so die hard into like like what is the next chapter in this story mm-hmm. that it didn't matter to me there was a new mortal Kombat game out because it was not canon as far as i was right, concerned yeah. so I, I had to watch like all of the cut scenes figure out the story and find a way to like convey it verbally right it was it is bonkers yeah you know <laughs> I, mean, I you know because you worked on yeah, it yeah yeah well i like that game a lot because yeah. um well i liked you know what i i remember liking a lot about it was the visual qualities of the characters in that game they managed to add detail, but yet, you know, maintain the, you know, the, um, the visual qualities of the, you know, the, the original versions of those characters. And they, I thought they did that in a good way. Yeah. Um, because I think that sometimes, especially, you know, as technology advances, um, it becomes real easy to kind of overload, you know, um, character designs with detail. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, I, I talked about this before that we kind of fell into with the early games was, um, you know, because of the limitations of the technology, we were kind of forced into creating um, sort of iconic visual qualities. You know, we had a limited color palette that we could work with. Um, you know, the, the pixel dim- dimensions of the screen were, were so small that, um, you know, the characters were only made up of so many pixels. And so we had to kind of deal with, um, you know, the shapes of the characters were, you know, the silhouettes of the characters we paid close attention to. And so the idea of Raiden with the triangular hat and the ninjas with the V-shaped tunics yeah. wasn't a- that stuff was not an accident. That was kind of like, okay, this is what, you know, this is what these guys look like and this is what this guy looks like. And they're, you know, they're, so the, the silhouettes and the shapes of the characters were easy to, to kind of yeah, it would register latch for, onto yeah. and, and the color choices between them and stuff. And so I think that kind of helped make them visually iconic. You know, certainly the popularity of the product, you know, had a lot to do with it but i think that they that they resonated so well because because of those limitations and um you know i don't know that i would have made those same choices had i been you know sort of completely unleashed like the you know the 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 detail that you see on the more current characters we could not do back then because it would have just been kind of a muddy mess of of pixels yeah i like that in the most recent game it felt like the designs got a lot simpler Mm -hmm. and they were able to have much more realistic faces Right, and it, oh, just, yeah, it yeah. felt it felt a lot like a realization of what you guys were trying yes. to do with like the first few games. Yeah. It's like the technology finally got there. Right. And it's yeah. like okay, he can just be in a ninja costume. Yeah. Doesn't have to have. I think in the 3D era, the characters were being. They, I mean, you would you had uh, the ability to use this exciting new technology, mm-hmm. and they went ham on these costumes. Like by the. By I think Armageddon, mm-hmm. Sub Zero's costume was like he had a hat. The hat had yeah. like a right. tassel. He had like eighteen shoulder yeah. pads. I think right. Scorpion literally had like a, a like a twenty part back pad to his suit that yeah. looked like the back of a scorpion. Okay, and I understood why. Yeah, it, you had three D. You could do whatever you wanted, but right. it was like this is this is busy. This yeah, is yeah. Busy well, so that's part of like a, you know I think disciplining yourself to not like. When you have all that stuff at your disposable at your disposal, yeah, um, it's tough to discipline yourself, and so that's why you know I say had I had access to that kind of stuff early on, I don't know that that I would have made the same choices that I made. Maybe right. I would have, you know, because um, because I was aware of, you know, what resonated with like you know the most popular superheroes out there. It's like Superman has his color scheme, and Batman has his, mm-hmm. Spider Man has his, and. Um, you know, I thought that um, we needed to kind of do the same. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, that kind of helped the choices that we made with, with, the, with the early roster of characters. 
Um, I think also when you're that young, it's easy to kind of, it's harder, I think, to discipline yourself that way, or at least it was for me and, and for other creators that I know around that age. It's like, you do kind of feel like more is more. You want all of your ideas right. like going. Right. So it is like, yeah, no, it makes sense that it was lucky that you had less to work That's with right. at yeah. the age so of like 20, exactly 21. Right. I, think that, I think that the fact that the technology was so limited and the yeah. fact that we had no place to tell story worked to our advantage. I think it helped us make good choices and, um, uh, um, and, you know, at the very least, you know, I think that what we were conscious of, or at least that I, what I was conscious of was here's an opportunity to tell any story I want, um, use all these influences I had growing up. And, um, and so, you know, I mean, I was conscious of that, like, Hey, this is my chance. Yeah. You know, this is our chance to kind of do what we wanted. And, um, and, you know, we took advantage of that. So. It's awesome. I mean, it's like you learned all the right lessons from the first Star Wars movie, which is like the less you say, the more people figure it out themselves right. and it becomes much more exciting. Well, it's like, you know, <laughs> sometimes the more you talk, uh, the stupider you are. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, so talk, it's like, you talk yourself out of seeming like a smart person. Yeah, exactly right. I'm That's a pretty, what this podcast is all exactly about. Right. I'm revealing stupid. that I'm an idiot. Exactly right. Same thing here. <laughs> so I'm a pretty stupid guy. So the more I talk, is the, the more people realize, hey, he's not really all that smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I could do this. Shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, okay, well, uh, last couple of things before we wrap up here. I had some fan questions uh, from the, the patrons on Patreon because uh, I told them that I'd be talking to you and, and they were excited to ask a few questions. Um, getting to talk about Goro 7 Brides is like a huge... They're going to be really excited about that because mm. that's a big topic of conversation okay. on the Discord. But uh, Someone um, should write some fan fiction. Uh, it's going to happen, yeah, <laughs> if it hasn't already. I'm sure you could definitely find some real smutty Goro fan fiction online. I think in the very first... I didn't first... mean that kind of fan fiction, but maybe, I don't <laughs> well, know. Well, you could totally you find it. I mean, in the first episode of this podcast, Sarah uh -huh. Benincasa was talking about what she wanted to do with the Goro's hands. Oh, is that right? Big okay. sausage fingers, oh boy. so... Oh, boy. Uh, I'm sure it's out there. Uh -huh. <laughs> Goro and his seven brides. Seven brides for single Goros. People have shared links with me in the past that... Uh are difficult to talk about. I'm so. sorry that you had to <laughs> be exposed to that. Uh, all right. First question is, uh, you, you said that you've played the more recent games. Mm. I don't know if you've played okay. all of the most recent games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, the way that the Mortal Kombat franchise stands now, or even just in the present, mm -hmm. if you were to create a new Mortal Kombat character, mm. what do you think is the first kind of place that your mind would go? Um that's an interesting... You do free work on this podcast right now. Do the thing you do for a living, but yeah, right now no, for that's free. that's an interesting question. Well, <laughs> the first thing I would do is kind of... I would look at the roster and, again, try to attribute particular archetypes to certain... You know, to the, to the roster characters that exist and try not to repeat. Sure. Try to create something that would fit um, in its own unique way within, you know, the, the, the whatever that current roster was and, and stand out because of it. So that's what I would look at is, um, you know, who's already there. Um, and, uh, and how can we differentiate? So, um, and, and then how can you fit, how can you fit that character in, in a way that feels natural to everything that, that, that's there? So, well, that makes me curious then, like even looking back at the games you did work on, on MK1, 2, 3, 4, like, is there a type of character and archetype that you would have or could have added into that stable of characters that you I, think would have been a cool addition? I don't know. I think we touched on so many of the core, you know, um, you know, the hero, obviously the sidekick. Sometimes we had more hero than one, more heroes uh, than just the one. Like I think of like an MK4, there's a character named Kai who was mm -hmm. really, you know, he was kind of Liu Kang again. Yeah. Um, and so he didn't, didn't really work out all that well, I think because of it. 
Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to talk about when I get to his episode. Yeah. There's <laughs> not a ton <laughs> yeah, good luck going on with Kai. Right, yeah. You yeah. might have to you might have to um do two characters per episode. Yeah, Kai and Jarek. Yeah, Kai and Jarek. <laughs> Can you da- throw a dash of Rico in there? Yeah, yeah. What wait, what was the other one? Rico? Rico. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He got he got more in the comics. He got a lot in the Mortal Kombat X comics. Oh yeah, okay. Which I I loved Reiko for whatever reason when that when MK4 came out, uh-huh. I was so obsessed with Reiko. I thought he was the coolest costume. I liked his I think his eyes reminded me of Spawn. Okay, yeah. Cuz the kind bit, of like shape, shape around yeah, his we're, eyes. We're into that back Spawn then. soon being added to Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Um, but uh yeah, I always was like, I bet he's got a really cool story coming up and then he just was not in the, right, <laughs> in the other yeah. games. Okay. I think eventually he inherited like Shao Kahn's hammer or something by like oh maybe MK4 was that his ending I think I think we lowered Shao Kahn's helmet onto his head yes right the idea was that he was a gen- he was an outworld general yeah right? he was... had worked under Shao Kahn right yeah. yeah and I think his 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 ending which is which was not canon was that uh, was that he takes kind of the Khan mantle yeah from Shao Kahn yeah so we become yeah. Reiko Khan that makes sense yeah and then in the in the Mortal Kombat X character or uh, comic books, he kind of it was like a Mark Anthony Cleopatra situation okay. with um, with Melina. Okay. He like seduced her to try to take her power since she had inherited her father's throne, and okay. I thought all that stuff was really cool, a really yeah. interesting way of kind of playing off of even just that ending that you guys had done for MK4 in mm-hmm. a way. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So no werewolves, no vampires that you wish you had added back then. No. No I mod know. monsters. I don't know. Well, if you lock me in a room and put me, you know, in front of a blank, you know, a blank. It's not wall, not what's happening right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what I would concoct, but but I know that I know the process that I would that I would kind of take to get there. Okay. Yeah. That's informative too. Do you have a favorite fatality from the series, or is there a fatality that you really loved and were not allowed to, to put in a game? Um. You know, we were gonna do. I think I, it was it was maybe MK one. Um, oh, that's right. So um, Shang Tsung uh, had a sword in MK one, and I remember our original idea was that if you lost to him, he was gonna pull the sword out and either cut your head off or disembowel you. Uh huh. Um, and so we ended up doing the cut your head off thing. Um, it never made it into the game, and actually, that cut your head off stuff we ended up using for Johnny Cage's fatality. You know, mm. Punches your head off. That's kind of where that happened. Um, but I think the concept of disemboweling, I thought, was man, that's just that's too much. Um, <laughs> and uh, guts was crossing a line. Yeah, but uh, you know, we got pretty graphic. Like MK two, I think, I think Kung Lao's hat, you know, where he kind of cuts the player in half and then they split in half. Yeah. that was pretty gory. The long way. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty gory. Yeah. It's hardcore. Um, yeah, and the new game is completely off the rails. Yeah, with the fatalities. Yeah. I mean, I, they do stuff that I can't. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> it's amazing. So. Are you any more sheepish about that stuff now that that you're no longer um, like in your twenties? Or I cringe when I see it, but I understand its place right. for the players. Like I get what what it is, and it's so outlandish that I, I think that it's beyond, you know, the absurdity of it. I think kind of gives it gives it license. Um, but I, but I felt that back, you know, way back when I think yeah. just that the technology has, has advanced so much that they're able to kind of do such amazing things with it. That, yeah. Um, Wet sound effects and, uh, really right. yeah. <laughs> graphic oh, faces yeah. getting it's smashed. Unbelievable. In. The yeah. stuff that they're doing, but, uh, but I get the entertainment value there. And sure. Just as I get, just as I understood it back when we, when we originally did it. So at what age did you allow your offspring to play Mortal Kombat? <laughs> 
<laughs> Johnny. Uh, you know, so <laughs> my son... Uh, Who's here um, right now? <laughs> he's not a big Mortal Kombat player. Um, he was a big GTA player. And so okay. our wrestling match was when when was it that we were going to allow him to play that? Because he was so young and wanted <laughs> to play these games so badly because everybody around him was playing it. And we, you know, I was aware of the stuff that was in those games. And um, I'll tell a funny story, if you don't mind. <laughs> when he was, this is, I love telling this story, so funny. When he was... Uh, seven, eight, maybe nine years old. I don't remember how old you were. Um, uh, my son happens to be here with us <laughs> while we're recording the uh-huh. podcast. Um, but anyway, um, uh, when he was uh, much younger, um, he really wanted to play GTA and I wouldn't allow it. And, um, and I was away at work and I came home one day and he was sitting down playing, which, which one was it? San Andreas. San Andreas. San Andreas. So he's playing San oh, Andreas. Oh, that's a good one. Maybe the best one. Yeah. And so, um, so I come home and he's playing San Andreas and I'm dumbfounded. Like, what <laughs> is going on? So, you know, I, I call my wife over and I'm like, what's going on? And I think somebody lent you the game, maybe? Yeah. So some a friend lent him the game or something and he's playing it. And my wife, her attitude was, well, I don't see what's wrong. It doesn't look, it doesn't look like there's nothing wrong here. And he's, he has his character and he's running around inside of like a police station, I think, beating other, <laughs> beating other characters with a, a dildo? Pur- with a purple yeah, dildo. The dildo? Yeah, yeah. with a purple dildo. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, I say to my wife, do you understand what's happening here? She's like, no, I don't get it. I'm like, that, he's holding a dildo. <laughs> and she, she was like shocked, like didn't understand. Like, why would they put that in a I game? I thought it was a purple baton. Yeah, she didn't understand what she was seeing. And so um, I don't remember what happened, whether we stopped you or let you keep playing or whatever, because he didn't understand what he was seeing. Sure. I'm, um, sure, I'm sure you had no concept of what a dildo yeah, exactly. was. Yeah, exactly. He had time. no idea what he was doing. Yeah. He was just having fun playing the game sure. so innocently. Oh, man. Um, but, um, but anyway, <laughs> I was hyper conscious of it. And I never let him play any of the uh, early Mortal Kombat games, but he wasn't a big fighting game player anyway right um but um but <laughs> i think that there's an age that is you know i i mean the game is m-rated for a reason you know those right. games certainly were and so i would not let him play those games at, the, at that age right certainly. meanwhile i was like five six years yeah, old, exactly just right going yeah. Ham. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah sure <laughs> yeah. uh next question that i have for you uh from one of the, one of the fans is uh are ed boone's eyebrows real <laughs> yes <laughs> And they're glorious. As a fellow thick <laughs> eyebrow haver, uh, hell yeah, Ed Boon. Good. Mm. Good on you. <laughs> um, final question, and I feel like I already know the answer to this one. Um, someone asked, do you... Uh, I'll, I'll distill it in, in the way that I would ask this question okay. of you. Do you even know who the character Taven is? <laughs> I do. Okay, cool. Well, kind of. Uh, so yeah. there were these two... He was... He was not Deadly Alliance. He was uh, Armageddon. Oh, Armageddon. It's literally just an Armageddon. Okay. They introduced Taven and Dagon. Okay. Taven's the hero for this one game, and he, he's out. Oh, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember Taven and Dagon, uh, and uh, I don't remember what the relationship to each other was. Um, I think I played a little bit of Armageddon. Yeah. I must have. They were Edenian demigods who had been frozen and were going to only be thought out when it was time hmm. to uh, for the Pyramid of Argus to rise. Okay. I don't remember any of that and story. To fight Blaze. Okay. It got complicated. Okay. It got it got really complicated. Didn't that game have like there was kind of a bit of an exploration mode maybe? They, Is that yeah, that, yeah. That, that I think one? I think they introduced it in Deception and I was very obsessed with it. Okay. Because all I wanted was to explore 
the world on foot. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Armageddon had its own version of it. I think it was it wasn't quite as complex as the Shaolin monks engine, okay. but it was similar. Right. There was kind of a beat 'em up element to it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Shaolin Monks was a great game. It was an awesome game. Yeah. I really want them to make another one. Yeah, yeah, they should. Uh, that game was, you know, when we started doing our spinoffs, you know, there was the, M- the Sub-Zero game that we did. Um, uh, but I think when those guys did it, they kind of pulled off. Like, they did that right. Like, when I, I remember playing that yeah. game and thinking, oh, this is, this is amazing. This is what, you know, this is what, where we wanted to kind of go. Yeah. Um, but they did a good job with that one. I will never forget uh, being so excited to take out mythologies from Blockbuster. Mm. And I must have been, what year? Do you remember? 97, was it? 97, 98, yeah. maybe. So I was, I was about eight years old. Yeah. I took it out from Blockbuster. Couldn't get through the first level. I was just wasn't, game. I wasn't game. talented enough. Tough game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not good at Too the tough. regular Mortal Kombat <laughs> games. So, um, somebody sent me a link of, I don't know who it was. Uh, Someone was playing that game, like maybe do, what do they do they, where they sit down and they do like a marathon session or they, they speed, try yeah, to speed, speed through run a game. Or, yeah. Yeah. And someone was doing that and, um, uh, and, and I thought, wow, what torture. That game was so difficult. And, um, and they were, I think, complaining the whole way. And it reminded me of, remember there was an old SNL skit from like maybe the early 90s, late 80s. Where there were these two characters who would sit and talk about all these things they would, all this bodily harm they would cause to themselves. You know, it was it was Billy Crystal and I don't remember who the other actor was, but they would say, hey, you know, you ever take one of those? And the other guy was would say, uh, you know, a cheese grate. Yeah. And just kind of scrape it across your head you know, over and over. And, you know, oh, yeah, I hate when that happens. Yeah, that's smart. Anyway, um, this guy playing through Sub-Zero reminded me of that. It's like, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you put yourself through? I mean, that was a I just unless you're a really good player. I just wanted to see those cutscenes. That's what yeah. it was all about for me. I was those like, give me those low res FMV. Yeah, which were yeah, which were, were all the rage at the time. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen the outtakes? From those cutscenes? From those cutscenes? I think I have. I think I've seen the Quan Chi actor just like goofing oh, off. Rich Divizio. Yeah, he was yeah. so funny. Yeah, that was that stuff was was so funny. Oh, like man. I don't know the the value of those cutscenes today, but the outtakes were worth every bit of wow. the energy that we put into them. I mean, those are fantastic. I still like watching them. They just got like a vibe. They've got like a specific, like early thirty-two bit era vibe yeah, to them, like exactly. an atmosphere. Right. It's like kind of scary, uh-huh. kind of unsettling. I mean, maybe that's just me projecting from like my childhood, like read of it of being like, oh, these sets seem really big, but also like empty. Yeah. And like the characters are in this makeup that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> like the costumes are. It was. I mean, it was cool. It worked. Yeah. You guys were clearly working with what you had at the to time. Work with. At yeah. The time. <laughs> it wasn't the same budget as like the movies though. Right. As like. Yeah. Um, was the second Mortal Kombat well, movie? Well, I don't know. We, we might, yeah, we might have had a bigger budget than Annihilation. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I kid, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, uh, no CG animalities in, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that oh was, man, that was something. Wow. Well, uh, I guess that brings us to to our last segment: uh, choose your destiny. Okay. Where I ask you, John, uh, if you existed in the world mm. of Mortal Kombat. What would you be? What species would you be? What realm would you be from? Uh, what would your fatality be? Who hmm. is the John Tobias of the Mortal Kombat franchise? I don't know. You know, I, I think I've been asked similar questions in the past, and I probably answer them differently all the time. Great. Let's see. There to, shouldn't be a consistent answer. Today, I'd I be would, worried if there were. Today, I would be Goro because the idea that he's got four arms and seven wives—I mean, come on. Right. That's pretty cool. But outside of even a savage character, you've already created. I'm talking like in your in your heart of hearts. Oh, okay. If you were in Mortal Kombat. 
uh-huh. what would you be? Who would you be? Do you think, I mean, do you think he would have been born John Tobias, like, uh, in, in the United States, in Earthrealm, or do you feel like huh. you're a, a Lin Kuei warrior? I don't know. Maybe I'm just me, and maybe, you know, in MK3, I get sucked up with everyone else. <laughs> you know, there's it. nothing special about gone. me. Yeah, I'm just gone with everyone else. Wow, I'm, you're not even a chosen warrior? I'm not even a chosen warrior. Jesus, yeah, I mean, you're I'm one just, of the dads of this franchise. Yeah, just, yeah, but maybe I'm just, you know, just a regular dude. Just a regular dude, yeah. Wow. You know, just, Is that how you live your life? Just kind of like... Regular dude. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, wow. Yeah. All right. But what would your fatality be? <laughs> well, because I'm a regular dude, it would be pretty brutal right yeah it wouldn't probably. be quick and dirty it would no. you know if it's if it was especially if i was using my bare hands that would get ugly yeah <laughs> is it just is it just you strangling somebody maybe i don't know yeah Nestle, I, putting I a, a pillow gun. over like shang sung's right. face and just holding it down maybe. yelling go to sleep yeah, exactly right. yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah wow yeah okay hey good to know and that's canon um <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, I mean, any any other tidbits to share before we before we wrap this up? I don't know. I mean, there was you know so much history there, and so much happened in those ten eleven years. I think I was involved with the with the. It's like your old twenties, right? That was my whole twenties. It's bonkers. Yeah, yeah. It was have, for me, having just turned thirty, like the idea that like you, poof, by my age, you'd already done a whole Mortal Kombat franchise. Right. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> yeah. It was. I tell you what. It was. It was fun watching it all kind of blow up. Yeah. Um, and um, it makes it, it makes it seem like we made all the right decisions. And, you know, um, yeah, I mentioned earlier when we look when I look back at it and on, you know, in hindsight, there were decisions that we made that I think that were good, you know, and, and I'm glad that we made them. And, and we were you know, we were right to make them because, um, you know, I remember, um, you know, Ed and I had a conversation real early on where we said, um with regards to the story that, Hey, we're taking this totally seriously. Like this is, we're not joking, you know, like this is, you know, because there was a pension at Midway at the time, like everything was a joke. Like I had worked on smash TV and that game was a big joke and every, the game narc that came out was all kind of tongue, tongue in cheek. And, and so it was, there was always a, um, a push to kind of head in that direction. And I remember with MK specifically, we said, Hey, this is, this is all on level. We're all very serious. And, And we treated it that way. Yeah. Um, with you know with the exception of when we got to kind of the friendships and all that kind of stuff we kind of got out of control there but uh but um yeah no, i i like i say i, I think i think we uh, we made the right choices when we needed to make them and because it blew up the way that we did it made it made those decisions seem like the correct ones to make it's funny that you guys kind of didn't focus on the comedy because when i do think back mm-hmm. on those games uh as someone who ultimately became a comedy writer I was so attracted to the comedy in right. those games, but yeah. I guess I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't really thought about it, but it is really like later that it kind of starts to pop up. More. Wasn't in the first game. Yeah. At, at least not intentionally. Yeah. It wasn't in the first game. It was like the second game. Maybe we got into the friendships and kind of the outlandish. Toasty. Right. Yeah. Well, Toasty was in the first game, right? Yeah. 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 But I guess that's more of like a programmer joke. Right. That was like, like an inside joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we didn't really kind of get into the absurdity of it until a little bit later. Hmm. Um, and uh, well, with the exception of uh, um, Ed loved again, you know, hiding things and yeah. burying things in the game, and and I think that was that was great because it kind of played into the whole you know mystical qualities of the game and you know the um, the stuff that was hidden you know kind of helped sort of build sort of this mythology around the actual product itself. Right. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, man, thanks thanks so much for making the time to come yeah, on. The how, show. how long have we been talking? 
Oh, it's been an hour and 45 minutes. Has it? Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but we'll see if that's how long it is once I yeah, you know, trim anything that's yeah. boring. Or, yeah, yeah, right. I think we did a pretty good job. I think it's an engaging conversation. Yeah, felt, felt, I, think, I think people are familiar with the games. We'll, we'll kind of enjoy some of the oh, things yeah. we talked about. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then yeah. I think hopefully there are people who've been listening to this podcast who haven't necessarily been into the games yeah. that will find... <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm not a comedian. Like, I know you have a lot of comedians on the show. And oh, I, it's been I, fun. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I wish I was a comedian. I mean, I could crack <laughs> jokes and have that kind of you know wit oh there were bits um, yeah <laughs> and just getting to talk about the seven brides of goro i think was uh i tend to be funny unintentionally so <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully i was oh man uh well listen i mean i'm sure people are always people especially who are fans of mortal Kombat, are looking for places where they can find more john tobias where can they find you obviously on social media but also uh what have you been working on and, and where can people see you know you're working on? yeah well they can find me on twitter that's really the only social media interaction. I think sure. I have How can people, people add you on Facebook? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I have a Facebook account, but, um, but my yeah, family's yeah, like yeah, on there. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. Don't really, don't really, I'm not really there anymore, but Twitter, I'm at the real Cybot, um, on, nice. on Twitter. So people can connect with me there. Um, and then more recently, um, I was at Zynga for several years doing mobile product. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that a lot of people feel like I've been out of the industry, but only because I haven't been involved with Mortal Kombat. I've been doing kind of mobile product stuff that's not maybe as cool for them as they would like sure. my work to be. Um, but, um, but I recently left Zynga, um, started a company with, um, with a fellow by the name of Paul Staple, who's a fantastic engineer. Um, and we were re our technology was recently acquired by Warner Brothers, and we recently joined Warner Brothers, and we're starting up a, a back in the family studio, yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. for Warner Brothers in San Diego. So that's I'm kind of in, in the, at the beginning. That's of cool. That. Is yeah. it a gaming technology? Or? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We're doing games. Um, Hell I can't, yeah! I can't talk about what we're doing. Of course. Um, but um, but so I'm at the beginnings of that, and it's very exciting for us. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, well, definitely excited to hear more. We'll update people on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and thanks again, man. Uh, thanks cool. for coming on. This is going to be such a treat for the listeners. Uh, for all you at home, thanks for listening. And as always, oh, it's nice sirens there. Right as I, <laughs> uh, you know, finish up.